Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Blender HD on, on Twitter if you want. And it's Monday. You know what we do on Mondays? It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, Pater underscore DFS, the co author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Obviously, give me thumbs up in the morning here. It's Monday morning. Uh, thumbs up, subscribe, subscribes, and the notification bells. I'll, I'll be I'll be back later tonight. I, I, I have four shows today. So I, I, I'm doing Grinders Life for NBA. I'll be back for the pre-lock show. You'll be seeing me all day here on yeah. the Roto Grinders YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, you can always post your comments and your questions that uh, we could get to in the YouTube chat. Uh, James, uh, what wasn't a good week for me? Was, wasn't what yesterday was not good. Yesterday, uh, 20 GPP lineups, uh-huh. technically 80. Uh, 20 main GPP lineups. Yeah. Uh, none of them cashed. Yeah. Like not, not a single one. And the other 60 were just permutations of those 20 and, and three of them cashed. There we go. So I was, I was, I was able to get th- three over the line and like the slant of the flea flicker that were essentially two V twos off of all those, t- the same 20 lineups. Uh, I don't know what uh, I took a shot on a game. I put, I put that piece of that game in almost all my lineups and the game sucked. Right. And that, yeah. and that's, and, and to be fair, I said, I said that on multiple shows, Carolina, Atlanta, like, Anytime you get crap versus crap or good versus good, it's very similar to, to MMA. Like when what ends up happening is you, you sometimes you see two great fighters fighting against each other. Go, oh, this one's going to be a banger. And because they're both so technically good, it ends up being a very slow like they're all they're both hesitant to fate to do anything and make a mistake. So the fight actually becomes like a dud. Yeah. Sometimes you see them. Sometimes it is a bang. Sometimes, absolutely, two great fighters against each other. Same thing for the horrible guys. Low level, low level. You, you'll you'll see. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just two people that are that clearly shouldn't belong in there and can't win the punch because of it. And then yeah. sometimes they shouldn't belong in there because they're just completely reckless and sloppy, and the whole fight is just like, like it's like a bar fight. Yeah. And points galore, right? Or two grapplers. You see that a lot. Two grapplers face up. Oh, high-level grappling. There's going to be a lot of points scored on the ground. They're going to go this and reverse. And then it ends up being a, a, a staring contest for three rounds. Because no one wants to make a mistake. Oh, that guy, I know that guy's a great rap, grappler and a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So I'm not going to just go in and just try to just take him down. So to me, I view the, like, the Panthers-Falcons game as this is the disgusting game. Disgusting can mean what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Or it could mean that it's 44-38. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be one either the defenses are horrible and they just run up and down the field, or the offenses are just absurdly inefficient and uh nothing ever gets done. And it it just so happened to be be that one. And uh and also uh it doesn't help that I was perfectly fine with the lineups that I had that I made Saturday, Saturday night. I'm like, I got I got my lineups, they're done. Really like nothing, nothing's gonna change. I mean, nothing's going to change. And then at 11.30, Calvin yeah. Ridley says, I don't want to play football anymore. 
And I had Calvin Ridley in half my lineup. So it's not <laughs> like it's like I got to leave it be. It's not like, oh, now I got to start jamming in Falcons. It's just like, no, I got to, I have the most of this game. I got to, I got to rework all of my lineups now. Yeah. So, uh, did you have to do very similar things, uh, you know, out of the blue? Jamal Williams is out, right? We saw that. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. The, the two that didn't affect me that To me, that didn't, that didn't affect me as much. I think people bumped up Swift a little too much. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't know that I bumped him up all that much. I mean, I gave him the majority of the running back work, which was right. I mean, the only two guys they had behind him, I literally can't, I couldn't pronounce the name of one of them. And the other one was like practice squad guy. So giving DeAndre Swift, like a 75, 75 split of the rushing work and the touchdown work, I think that's fine. Um, so like bumping him up to that, I, I don't have a problem with that. And I didn't mind having him. I, I had him on all three of my lineups, 7,100 for a guy who gets wide receiver one work and then should be getting all of the running back work even on a bad team. Like we we've seen guys succeed even on a bad team in that situation. Uh, obviously Jermar Jefferson, who is a practice squad guy gets the touchdown later in the game. And then well, it was you know, so out of hand. It was so out of hand. There's no point of even having no, it. no, like the game not. was so far out of hand that like, it's all, oh, oh, get garbage time work. It's like, like what were, were the lines favored in this game? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, they so were only a three point dog or something. Right. But I mean, it was close. It was a close one. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, DeAndre Swift. And, and plus, you know, I was high on Philadelphia as well because I think Jalen Hurts is fantastic for fantasy. I don't think he's a very good real life quarterback, but I think he's great for fantasy. Uh, but he needs to be from, he needs to be playing from behind. Uh, well, that's what people keep saying. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. So I, I bumped up Swift a bit. I already had him projected for like, I don't know, 18 or something like that, just purely off the rushing work. And then when he gets that much of the, or simply off the receiving work, then when he gets that much of the rushing work, um, bumped him up another couple points. So his fantastic play had a lot of him, the Calvin Ridley news. Uh, I don't know how much it hurt me, except that there was no way I was going to play Kyle Pitts. And then I played Kyle Pitts and like, I guess that hurts me. Kyle Pitts ended up with like 3.3 fantasy points. I guess the thing that hurt me more was that I then prioritized Kyle Pitts, which then said, oh, well, now I want to make sure that I get a comeback for him on the secondary correlation. Let me plug in Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson gets zero. Uh, Panthers just look like an actual rotting pumpkin. So I think that news kind of hurt me a little bit, but I I wasn't ever going to really stack that game. I didn't want to stack Carolina. I don't, I don't really think that they are a very good stackable team right now. And like the way that they do things, Atlanta, I was fine stacking. I was, I was okay going with like Matt Ryan, the way that I wanted to do it, actually, I talked about it on my stream yesterday and I wrote about it in my notes. I wanted to do Matt Ryan with Cordero Patterson and Kyle Pitts before Calvin Ridley got ruled out mm-hmm. because like that, that way of building gives you so so many options across the board, like not including a wide receiver in your stack at all is a really interesting way to build. You can build out multiple secondary correlations with wide receivers in that way. I really like that. So I did have some interest in Atlanta. I didn't prioritize them, but I did want to have Cordero Patterson. Um, I did want to have Calvin Ridley. I had Calvin Ridley in lineup before he got ruled out. But yeah, that news that that hurt a lot of people, I think. And the, the thing that hurt the most on it, I think, like 
it kind of made it so with the Jamal Williams news and with the Calvin Ridley news, it made it so that Cordero Patterson, who I thought was a good play again, gained a lot of ownership. And DeAndre Swift, who was going to be somewhere around like, you got to think like 20 to 25% owned, even at 7,100, it skyrocketed his ownership. So then you have a lot of extra ownership on these plays that ended up, Cordell Patterson was okay, but DeAndre Swift sucked. So it just kind of threw things through the, it, it made things so weird from an ownership standpoint that it made me hesitant to do certain things and made me feel like I needed to do other certain things, like having a lot of DeAndre Swift. If DeAndre, if DeAndre Swift is like 20 to 25% owned, like, yeah, he's a good play. I was fine having him in one, maybe two lineups. Maybe I have him in my Philadelphia as the comeback, but I probably wouldn't have prioritized him the way that I did. So I think that that probably hurt me the most. But the Calvin Ridley news, I was, I was okay with an Atlanta stack, but I wasn't prioritizing. I was on, but I was on the Panthers the whole time. Like, I look at the Millie ownership. Sam Darnold, 4%. DJ Moore, 8%. Oh, no, I, I understand why you were on. Robbie Anderson, 4.8%. Like, if you took a look at all the ownership for the Panthers, the ownership was was higher in the higher stakes, smaller field. Like, yeah, right? I understand so why I mean, you like, I'm going in the right direction. I mean, like, it feels like I'm going in the right direction. And uh, the Falcons, if we take a look at the lower states, so Millie, Ryan, 6%. Let's see. Did anyone play? Calvin Ridley was still almost 1% owned in the Millie. Uh, Russell Gage, 11% in the Millie. Pitts, 14%. And Patterson, 12%. Like my, my attitude on this was not, not on the Falcons, more on the, like I was, I was, I was on the Panthers. Mm -hmm. The Falcons just happened to be subsidiary guys that I had more Darnold Anderson, more stacks with before the news, I had Ridley Pitts and Patterson as runbacks. Sure. Yeah. As, so it's not like as I was necessarily stacking the Falcons. So now Ridley's out. So now I add gauge to the player pool as a run back and I run my lineups again, but obviously the difference between Ridley and gauge is a price difference. Yeah. Right. And the, and the positional and obviously Patterson's projection goes up. So like it changes all my lineup constructions, mm-hmm. and uh, from my perspective, the 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 games that were too the games that were over owned, I think the Bills game was over owned. Agree. Uh, if we take a look here, Emmanuel Sanders was twenty percent in the milli with a zero. I was playing Bills one offs, but I was primarily playing Cole Beasley. I had okay. Beasley projected well in my aggregate. He was 12% owned in the Millie. I didn't play. I think I played Diggs in one lineup because he was just over. He DJ Moore projected better than him for lower price. Right. So he was 10% owned. And Josh Allen, Josh Allen was 13. Yeah, Josh Allen was one of the highest owned quarterbacks. So it's like, okay. Doesn't mean I don't have any bills. I did have a couple of, couple of I think, three out of 20 Allen, Allen stacks. Mm-hmm. Tommy Sweeney in the tight end spot. Something like that. And I thought the other overowned game was the, the Colts Titans game. I thought, I mean, and I I when I saw the Pittman ownership when the when the slate locked, I I said to myself, it's like okay, I, no matter what happens, I'm absolutely an utter, I'm perfectly fine with what I've done. When I, I see didn't. 20 26% ownership on Michael Pittman 
with T.Y. Hilton back and yeah. and everyone everyone healthy, I I just go, what why? Like it's not like he's a I thought Michael Pittman, I he was in my player pool, but I, I purposely attached him to AJ Brown. I said yeah. Pittman that it, it I I think Pittman's I thought Pittman was gonna be like 18% though. And that is 18.31. Yeah. Right. If I, I thought it would be 18% owned and still overowned compared to other receivers in that range at 18. I agree. I agree. So at that point, I, and I thought AJ Brown would be overowned. I had AJ Brown at around 16%, I believe. Somewhere, let, let's see, what, what would I put in for AJ Brown? AJ Brown, yeah, 16. Uh, yeah. AJ Brown came in at like 14 or 15. But I thought that if, if they're both going to be overowned, like I might as well just play them together if I'm going to play them and not play them as one. Yeah. Of course, I, I didn't get to I any of those lineups away. out of my 20. I was blown away by the Michael Pittman ownership. Because I no, had a got there. It doesn't matter. It still got there. I don't, I don't care. Like I, I was annoyed. I know, like, but that's, that's, that's the point that I'm making. I'm just trying to – a teachable moment of like, like I, I, I weigh my decisions at, the, at lock. Yeah, yeah. Like once lock hits and I see the ownership and I go, would I have changed any decisions that I would have made? And if I say no, like what am, what am I going to do? Like I yes, I had a bunch of James Robinson. He got injured. So like what am I what am I supposed to do? But I see right. that in that James Robinson was actually decently owned. Uh, I played a whole bunch uh, on DraftKings. I played a whole uh, out of my twenty lineups. I think I had eight lineups with Michael Carter. And I had seven lineups with Eli Mitchell. Like I got, I got the cheap running backs right, just that they're they're filled with DJ Moore and 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 Kyle Pitts in those lineups, and it and it doesn't matter anymore. But I mean, but essentially, when you review the slate, what what, what would you have done had you known? Mm-hmm. And like, had I known Michael Pitts was going to be even way higher on than I thought, like like he wouldn't have made any of my line. I mean, you just it, I wouldn't have even thought about it. I just said no. I mean, I take a look at this range. Okay, th- this is what I need to. Add. I know we dug over the like the weird projections. This isn't a weird one. This is what I didn't get in this range. Okay, take, let's take a look at this five K wide receiver range. Okay, I'm I'm uh, and let let's go let's go from e- even down a little bit lower, like at Cole. I'm, okay, I'm going to include Cole Beasley in this. All right. Okay, so I'm looking for basically the the. The receivers I'm looking at in this range, Brandon Cooks at 5,700, Devontae Smith at 5,500, Emmanuel Sanders at 5,400. I guess you have to throw him in. Michael Pittman at 53, T. Higgins at 52, Jacoby Myers at 51. Yeah. Okay. So if we just look at those guys, like which out of all those guys in my aggregate, Brandon Cooks projected the highest. He's sure. also the most expensive at fifty seven hundred. So what did what did you have Brandon Cooks at? Brandon Cooks at around fifteen. Okay, at sixteen point five. Sure, a little bit higher. Okay, let's just go down. What did you have Devonte Smith at? Around fifteen. Yeah, fourteen and a half. So yeah, even you had him for maybe a little bit higher than I than I. Did. Uh, I, I had fourteen point six. So okay, fourteen point five nine. Yeah. Okay, so we're not off. Emmanuel Sanders, I had thirteen. I had twelve. Okay, yeah, so it's so a lower. That that's I threw him in. Uh, T. Higgins. What did you have? I had 15, 15 for I T. Had, Higgins. I had 13, so I was lower on T. Higgins. Oh, I, I was lower, lower okay. this week on Buffalo and Cincinnati. So Okay, how about Jacoby Myers? 
I had 16 for Jacoby Myers. I had 14.9. So you even higher than my aggregate on yeah. Jacoby Myers. Uh, how about Cole Beasley? I had 12.6. Uh, I was really low on Cole Beasley. My models never like him. I had him at like seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's way off. My and model, then what was Michael? What did you have Michael Pittman for? I had Michael Pittman for 15.5. All right, I had 14.36. Sure. So a point where a point off. You had him for a point higher, but still, even at a point higher for you, he was still over owned. I, I had him if if he comes in at 18% owned, I had him as basically 7% over owned. I had his efficient ownership around 11. Okay. If he came in at 18%. If he came, yeah, if he came in at 18, he was he would came, comes in at 27 in the power right. suite. So 16% higher ownership right. than I think he should have had. Yeah, but in comparison to all these numbers, even if you had Pittman at 15 and a half, there's no reason. Like, I want to go through all the uh, – this is the milli, to use an example of that's yeah, what yeah. we're projecting the ownership for. Obviously, in different contests, will be different. So if we go by Brandon Cooks, Brandon Cooks in the milli was 5.6% owned, okay? Uh, T. Higgins, 11.6, okay? Jacoby Myers, 4.9. So low. Beasley, if you want to include him, 12.8. Uh, Devonta Smith, 12.3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manuel Sanders was obviously high owned. And then Pittman was 26.5. Like Pittman was it's out of nowhere. With Pittman was twice as owned as and as than T. Higgins, like Higgins and the Millie was 11.6. And I projected him. For 20% ownership. Mm-hmm. So I thought he was over on for the milli. So like looking at the projections of all these, of all these receivers that we're looking at, even if you put Michael Pittman at 15 and a half, like the ranges of all these receivers are close enough that none of them should be twice as owned as any of the other guys. And definitely not four times as much owned. Like what's the reasoning behind Michael Pittman being 27% owned and Devonta Smith being 11% owned and Brandon Cooks being 5% owned. I legit don't know. I didn't even see him talk about that much. I, I thought no, no, I know. No, I heard I all, all Mike, when's Pittman, when's Pittman Brown? If Julio's out, when's Pittman Brown? When, when, I heard a ton of that, but it was all on the basis that T.Y. Hilton wasn't playing. Hmm. T.Y. Hilton. That, that would have made sense. That would have made I, sense. That would have made sense. No, I, I, but even with T.Y. Hilton in, I have my projection at 14.36. I mean, like it did like if T.Y. Hilton was out, Pittman probably would have gotten up to 16 and a half or 17. I was gonna say 17 or so. Sure. Right. And then I then I think his efficient ownership would have been around 20%. Yeah, sure. In that range in the 53. I, I, then, then it makes a little bit more sense. And I would have ended up playing him in cash, which I didn't. Oh, I, I would have had Michael Pittman in cash. Why? He played. Because he was high owned. I, I didn't know he was going to be that. I thought there's enough. There's enough guy. Like well, the, okay. So hold they, on. there's enough where there's enough ownership out there, especially because I had Ridley in cash before eleven thirty. So I'm like, I had I basically my receivers were Ridley, uh, Ridley, uh, Godwin, and Higgins. So I'm like, I, like what's the I, need for Pittman? If I'm looking at it like ad hoc, right? If I'm looking at it now, uh, DeAndre Swift, obvious. Cooper Cup, obvious. Daryl Henderson, Henderson, obvious. Chris Godwin, obvious. Those are the only four guys that I had projected above Michael Pittman's ownership. So if I'm building out a cash lineup, I'm going to start with 
DeAndre Swift, Cooper Cup, Daryl Henderson, Chris Godwin, Michael Pittman. I think that I also probably would have dropped Cordero Patterson in after the Calvin Ridley news. Okay. I mean, I, I was debating. He was, part of, he was part of my, I was thought process, but I mean, he's, he's, only, but he's valid. He's, uh, he's only running back. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I think so. You'd use three running backs, right? Use Daryl Henderson, DeAndre Swift. And, well, I didn't use three running backs. I mean, I, you could have. I think I would have. Okay. Well, well, so, I mean, Joe Mixon right there at 6,900. I guess Joe Mixon was another cash game back, right? Uh, maybe more on FanDuel. That makes sense. I, um, I, I played DJ Moore in cash. Okay, sure. What was your projection on – okay, let's, let's go to this. What was your projection on DJ Moore? 17. 20.4. That's why you had him in cash. All right. Okay, so that I, so sure. when people think of like, oh, why did you play DJ Moore in cash? It's like – well, based That's on the numbers I'm looking at, why why shouldn't I play? Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. And if you haven't projected, and remember, I'm using I'm using an aggregate. If I use the blitz, the blitz was even higher than that. I mean, like I believe that. I'm not. I'm not. It's not like you, you had 17, but a lot of most of most of 18, 19s at least. Mm-hmm. So you take a look at even a DJ Moore 19 puts him above Debo, above Chase, above every above everyone other than Cup, above almost to Diggs for 7200. Yeah. And I'm already building that type of construction, so I'm like. More, I played more. I played. Uh, who did I play? And I played. Uh, I ended up playing Devonte Smith in cash because I wanted four receivers. Okay. I didn't. The thing about Cordell Patterson was I knew I knew playing DJ. Moore, it was one of those things. Either he went up or down. Mm-hmm. There was a build with Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson. If you wanted to do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Cooper Cup and Russell Gage, if you wanted to do that. Or something like when you went up and down, and then you still had like a fit, like a 6K. Then you still, to me, I figured Godwin was, I needed to lock in Godwin. I needed to lock in Henderson. I needed to lock in Swift. I needed to lock in Hurts at quarterback. So once I locked that in, I mean, I could even show you. Once I start locking these things in, it's like, what do I get? Like either I'm going to get Cordell Patterson. And like Brandon Cooks, or I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a fifty. Uh, uh, I had Devonte Smith. Understand, I had Devonte Smith uh, projected higher than Pittman. So I Devonte Smith at fourteen point five nine, and Michael Pittman at fourteen point three six. I had Jacoby Myers at fourteen point nine, higher than both of them. I had T Higgins at fifteen. So my natural construction, if I didn't want to play Pat- Patterson was a four wide receiver build with more Higgins uh, and some 5K level receiver, either Devontae Smith or Jacob. It would first go Devontae Smith, then go Jacoby Myers, then go Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. And then my Dan Arnold in the tight end spot and the Washington defense. But when I, when I did the Devontae Smith lineup, I could have put Jacoby Myers in there and then played the Jaguars defense. But I thought the Washington defense was going to be like the most owned. So like, why am I not playing it? So playing Godwin in the flex allowed me to have the late games being Arnold, Godwin, Washington. Yeah. But once I I have that, James, if if I get anything wrong, those are the three chalkiest pieces outside of Henderson. Those are the three chalkiest pieces of my lineup. And I could easily switch in the, the 3v3 was Jared Cook, Jacoby Myers, and the Seahawks defense. So I'm like, if this lineup right here 
projects nearly the same as that Cordell Patterson lineup with Jacob, but that Cordell Patterson lineup has Jacoby Myers in it, and it takes up the flex spot and it uses the Jaguars defense and it's only projected for like 0.3 more. Yeah. So it's like what, what I had to weigh that decision. I was just never playing Pittman and cash with the numbers that I had compared to if you took out T Higgins and Devonta Smith and Brandon cooks and Myers and Beasley, you just remove them from the slate. Yeah, obviously I play Pittman at 5,300 because he's the best price in that range. But based on my numbers that he he, he wasn't. And I didn't know how owned he would be. I, I thought Higgins, I thought Godwin Higgins would be, I, th- I mean, I thought Godwin Higgins Ridley would be the most owned until Ridley was out. So it's like, I'm not getting rid of Higgins. I'm not getting rid of Arnold. I'm not getting rid of Godwin. I'm not getting rid of Henderson. I'm not getting rid of Smith. I'm not getting rid of Hurts. So what is what am I left with? Not getting rid of the Washington defense. So I'm left with the 2v2. So like, what do I do? Do I do it? And I this, went with the numbers. This, this is what I would have built if I had play, if I had played cash. I would have started with DeAndre Swift, Cooper Cup, Daryl Henderson, Chris Godwin, and Michael Pittman. Like those would have been the first five. Why? Actually, but why Pittman? Because of ownership. Because that's how I build cash game lines. So yeah, but I had, but you, but okay for your on your decisions. Me, I remember. I, yeah. On your right. Under, understand. I I get what you're saying. You had Michael Pittman higher on than T Higgins, and I had T Higgins higher on than Michael Pittman. The, the next one that I would have put in was T Higgins. So okay, I would but, have had a four wide receiver lineup if I had built, mm-hmm. I misspoke on that. I wouldn't have done Cordero Patterson um, because even after I reran ownership, Cordero Patterson still was not projecting as, as how do you fit in. that in? You can't even fit that lineup in with Cooper cup. Yes, you can, because you can use Mac Jones at QB. Uh, well, that's I thought you said you're locking in Jalen hurts, the quarterback. No, 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 not Jalen hurts. Jalen hurts. I, I think, like if you have the money to do that, yeah, you you put in Jalen Hurts. But I have Mac Jones projected fine, and getting all the highest owned position players, I think, is more important than the quarterback. I, I typically put no, in no, I, I, no, I, I, I could agree conceptually with that. And I mean, then you have Dan Arnold, and then you have the Washington defense, and that and that fits. That's 49, okay. 49 six, four in the left on table, and that would have gotten. Mostly, uh, oh yeah, that, that would have cash, right? Yeah, because Mac Jones said okay, but yeah. like, I I understand for you certainly not having Michael Pittman. I totally understand that, right? And even if you like sort by your percent owned, so like, let's go through this with your percent owned. With my percent owned, I Cooper Cup at twenty four, yeah, Godwin at twenty four, T Higgins at twenty, I DJ Moore at eighteen. I thought DJ Moore would be eighteen percent owned in the middle. Yeah. And I still thought he was a good, and I still thought that was under owned. Yeah. I had Michael Pittman at 18, AJ Brown at 16, Brandon Cooks at 16, and Brandon Cooks came in at 5%. Yeah. But really, to me, like, I think I, the reason I didn't play Cooks in cash, the Cooks line up was the better projected line. I'm not if I'm, if I'm siding between a 2v2, what? I'm not playing a Houston wide receiver in cash. Well, that's the point that I'm making. If I have a very small projection difference, I'm either gonna I'm gonna side with the the t- the, the better offense. I mean, just <laughs> a, like I, either you side with the higher own guy or the better off. Like that's how typically how I go. Right. But Pittman was fourth out of that list, so like I'm never getting to. I'm just I'm done. I'm just not getting to Pittman. Sure. And there's not that. and and there's not the the thing that that I don't get about his ownership is that there's nothing 
in comparison to those the, that range of wide receiver that warrants that I mean there's there's nothing mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing that warrants it because I could switch I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to uh, uh let's see uh, I'm gonna switch to another projection set okay. And then I'm going to go to wide receiver. Okay, I'm going to go to that salary range. Michael Pittman, fifth. Okay, this is another. This is another popular projection source within the industry. Okay, Brandon. We'll go through all those receivers. Brandon Cook, sixteen point five. Devonta Smith, fourteen point four. Michael Pittman, fifteen point two. T Higgins, fifteen point nine. Jacoby Myers, fourteen. Cole Beasley, twelve. So a little bit, a little bit more closer, closer to yours. Not as high on Jacoby Myers. Mm-hmm. DJ Moore, things, yeah. DJ Moore, eighteen point eight. So DJ Moore still, I mean, still projected very well here. Yeah. So it's like, even with these numbers, there's no reason why Michael Pittman should be twice as owned as anyone else. On the, like, there's still nothing here. And then I'm going to go. I'm going to go to to our gridiron IQ projections for Rotogrind. Like these are parts of my aggregate. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna go to wide receiver. Go to that salary range. Brandon Cooks fifteen point three eight. Devonta Smith fourteen. Fourteen point three six. Pittman fifteen point one two. Higgins fifteen point four three. Myers fourteen point two two. Beasley twelve point six. So still Higgins still is Higgins still projects better in all of these for one hundred less than Pittman. Yeah. In all of the, in all of these, in all of them, right? In all of them, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go to uh, to uh, uh, the blitz, and you could you could see where my aggregate is moving because the blitz is going to be higher on the people that I'm on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go to the blitz, and we go to wide receiver. I have Brendan Cook seventeen point seven, Devonta Smith fourteen point eight. Michael Pittman, 13.1. Higgins, 14.36. Jacoby Myers, 15.88. Cole Beasley, 12.5. So based on these numbers, it like even if you were if you were just use the blitz, you'd be looking at me and agreeing completely, completely. Yeah. And go, why, why would you play him in general? Because Devonta Smith outprojects him, right? Brandon Cook outprojects him by four and a half points. For only 400 more like but i don't go by just one projection set so i aggregate them all but even if like in none of the ones that we looked at had Pittman higher projected than higgins literally none of them i just i just went right. through them so why is why is higgins half his own as bit like other i mean from a numbers standpoint yeah like there, there's no there's how could you look at those numbers? And I'm not, I'm not psychologically how the field is reacting. I'm not, I'm not questioning that people do irrational stuff or from a numbers perspective, you can't with a straight face, look at say, say I, everything is factored into projections and I'm going to play Pittman over Higgins. And they're like, they, they very similar ranges. Like if you played one over the other, like we're talking about ranges that are very close to each other. That's the, that's the main reason. That's what we're talking. That's the concept we're talking about. Yeah. It's not, whether Pittman was a good play or Higgins was a good play or Cooks was a good, there's no, there's no such thing as a good play. 
These are all ranges of outcomes. Look at the floor versus the ceiling. Like their one standard deviation outcomes are going to be somewhere between six and 23. And all of them are literally all of them are in that range. Like all of, all of these guys are going to score between six and 23 with so if they're all going to be close enough, there's no reason why one should be three times, four times more owned than another guy. That That's the concept that we're saying. So it's, I go back into this stuff and I go like, this is the reason why I didn't play him. So I don't see anything I would have changed differently. It's like, dude, if, if none of the projections had him better than Higgins and half of them had Myers better than him in raw points, and Devonta Smith better him in raw points and Cook's better than him in raw points. Why would I play a, a, a 27% owned 5K receiver when I could easily just play any of these other guys? Yeah. And Pippen has 10 catches for 86 yards and two touchdowns. Like that's not something like uh, two, obviously a second touchdown, uh, 30 minutes in this late. I'm like, okay, just close the lap. Yeah, I, just mean, ran like, like I was already, I was already swapping my cash lineup at that point. Right. <laughs> I was already swapping. Uh, but I, I, th- th- these are the things that I'm not looking back at and going, going, what could I have done differently? It's like, I look and I go, I, I, I don't see how any reasonable person with any amount of logic would have made any other decision. Now, if you were playing a stack, if you were playing Wentz, Pittman, Brown, and got different elsewhere. Like I, I bless you. That you, 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 won, you won GPPs yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. The point, the point that I was making before about Pittman and Brown was more that I wasn't going to play them as one-offs. And I thought that the Titans Colts game was over-owned, which it, based on my numbers, it was. So Even like based I on change? my numbers, it was, and I really liked that game. Right. Exactly. So it's like, I'm not going to like, I got, I, I, I have a bad slate. Cash zero out of 20. And I look back and I go, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't have done anything. There's nothing I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. The game that I was went the most on that had the highest variance put in the nut low result. And like that, that, that's, that was the breaks. That's what happened. I was light on the bills. I was heavier on the Rams. I had a Ram in like every lineup of mine. So I had cup, I had woods, I had Henderson, I had Higby in one line. I mean, like I had Stafford stacks. I had, I had Stafford plus cup plus wood plus cooks. Right. Beautiful. I had Henderson plus Cook's lineups. Beautiful. The only problem is I have Carolina Atlanta smattered around everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> right. It's just like it's it's a DJ Moore one off. It's a Robbie Anderson one off. It's a K Russell Gage one off. It's it's a, and then also I don't have AJ Brown and I don't have Michael Pittman. And then the Godwin stuff, I have to what I, I since I'm down, I have to take out Godwin out of my lineup. So now the lineups get even worse. Yeah. Right. Because the Godwin is chalk. So I'm like, I got to get him out. I'll play Cortland Sutton. I'll play, uh, I'll play, go up and down at tight end, get Dan Arnold out of these lineups. So that didn't obviously didn't work out. But based on the ownership and based on the numbers, there's nothing. I, I don't change anything based on my numbers, but even based on your numbers, Carolina, Atlanta, if I told you that DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold were all going to be single digit owned, even based on your numbers, you would say that they're all, they're under owned. Oh, I, I love that. That I, I thought that was a game worth stacking. Because okay. I agree with you. I, I mean, if it, if it's like, no, but uh, to be clear, no, James, I, I only because I see some of the chat. It's not a game worth attacking. It's a game worth attacking, not because you think the game is going to go off. It's because the chances of the game going off versus the ownership, right, is like 
Like, it's not like I, I looked at Colts Titans and said, this game ain't going off. I ain't playing it. It's just like compared to the ownership, it's it's not as the Bills, especially. I saw the, the Bills ownership with the Dolphins. The Dolphins defense is pretty good, right? And and the the, the Bills didn't that didn't project well for their prices other than Beasley. So I'm like, I don't know why Allen's going to be the highest on quarterback here. Yeah, I don't I, understand I why don't... Emmanuel Sanders is going to be. I, I don't I don't get this. Doesn't mean the Bills can't go out and put up 56 points. It's just that for their ownership, it's 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 over. The ownership is over the probability. Well, so the that, I just want to cl- I just want to clear that up when you say like that was a good spot to attack. If if uh, the Carolina if, if DJ Moore was 37 percent owned and Robbie Anderson was the cheap chalk 22 percent, like I would have had none of the game. Yeah. So it's not it's not the the decision is not made by what do I think is going to happen. It's like compared to their ownership. So like, like we both agree that if I would have, if the cards would have flipped up at one o'clock and I would have looked at DJ Moore being 8% owned and said, I, I thought he was under owned at 18. Mm-hmm. If he, I knew he was going to be 8% owned, maybe he would have been an 18 out of 20 of my life instead yeah. of just 12. Right. That's, I would have actually wanted more of it. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when we think about those things, the same thing with the bills, you also have to consider the price of it. I mean, the prices on Carolina were pretty good, all things considered. And Cordell Patterson did not get a price bump. Kyle Pitts at 6K, eh, that's maybe a little bit pricey, but like, especially with no Calvin Ridley, that's a pretty good price. Calvin Ridley was not high priced enough. When you look at the bills, I because I wanted some Stefan Diggs. Like I wanted some Emmanuel Sanders. I ended up with a man with Emmanuel Sanders in one of my secondaries. Uh, but I wanted Stefan Diggs, and when I looked at his price versus my projection for him, I, I'm not I'm not playing him at that price because he he just didn't project well enough for me to to have him. Like I'd rather play DK Metcalf. I'd rather play Terry McLaurin. I'd rather play AJ Brown. I'd rather play Cortland Sutton. You had like seven million points probably projected for Cortland Sutton. No, Jerry Judy came back. So uh, Cortland Sutton took a big destroyed hit. everything. Yeah, yeah, that that ruined everything. Who, who uh, is the guy? So who is the guy? Now everyone wants to know, right? We every week, who's the guy that that you're like? You, this is going to be weird. This guy was projected like 800 points more than anyone else. Yeah, and it was Ty Hilton this week. I had him projected at like I think 15 or something like that, which was over. Yeah, well, I know that. I had him at nine point. Well, no, the Blitz had him at nine point nine. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that I was over on that because he was like, when you look through the things, like he was just, he kind of stuck out there. Um, but again, like that Colts game, one of the reasons why I didn't understand the Pittman ownership was because I had T.Y. Hilton like basically right next to him. So, you know, 18% owned on Michael Pittman. Sure. That's over owned 28% on Michael Pittman is hilarious. Uh, and I had him, like I had a Colts lineup. I had my best lineup was Carson Wentz with Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton. And I brought it back with A.J. Brown. Super basic, the most obvious. Right, which thing. is fine. St- stack what if you want. If I was playing 150 lineup set, I would have had some of the. I mean, I would have had. I yeah. would have had that like similar to that. It's just that I probably wouldn't have had Pittman as a one off in other lineups. No, ag- agreed. Right. So, so as part of a stack, obviously the game goes off and you want all the correlated pieces. I get it. But, but it's the weird thing because like Michael Pittman is 28% owned. AJ Brown is only 19% owned and Carson Wentz is only 9% owned. So like, were people really just plugging in Michael Pittman? Yes. Why? Well, that's the point that I'm making. Why do you think <laughs> that's the point? 
It's so weird. If you would have told me Michael Pittman was 15% owned, I, I we wouldn't be having this conversation. No, I'd be wouldn't. like, it's it's close enough to the line that you, that it'd be whatever. But I mean, yeah. I projected him for 18% ownership and thought he was over-owned at that point. And then right. he was even way more owned. So it, it was just, I, I thought that this weird, this slate, I liked this slate before the Calvin Ridley and Jamal Williams news. And then after that, I was like, all right, this, we're just going to hit a 3v3. That, that's what this slate is now. Because there's DeAndre Swift, there's Daryl Henderson, there's A.J. Brown, there's Michael Pittman. I, like, th- those guys I thought were pretty much you just plug them in. If, if you're going to have just a couple lineups, just plug those guys in and just move on. Uh, I did not see Mike White throwing for 400 yards. So egg on my face for thinking that the Jets wouldn't do that. I did say that I thought the Bengals didn't deserve to be 11-point favorites. I did not think that uh, Michael Carter would have almost double bonuses in a game against anyone. So that was weird. It, it, it was kind of a weird slate. I And when all the chalk hits, it's so funny, man. Like, Monday morning when all the chalk hits – and everybody's like, look at these screenshots. Look at these screenshots. All of our subscribers, all the chalk hit. Like, yeah, there's going to be some screenshots, man. That's my favorite part of Monday mornings. I just like seeing all the screenshots of like the same players in every single lineup and, and people taking victory laps on, on what were obviously the most obvious plays. Yeah. That, I mean, if you stack that game, that was fun. I mean, you stack yeah. the game, you play Daryl Henderson, you play, you know, you find, you find some cheap running back, which Michael Carter. Yeah. I, I my my projections were high on Michael Carter and Eli Mitchell, even Eli Mitchell on DraftKings. On, I I really like Eli Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah, fifty four hundred. He was a really good play this week. Right, like I had, like I just couldn't get Michael Carter out of out of tons of lineups. By like Michael Carter, I had. Uh, let's see, my aggregate. Michael, where's Michael Carter? Where'd he go? I had, I had Michael Carter at thirteen point two. What did you have? Way lower. I mean, I didn't have the Jets projected to score anything. Well, you have to have them projecting to score something. They did a 14 implied team total. I think around eight. They had they had a team total, but like they also are a team that in a small sample, because the Jets have not been to the red zone very often, have been passing in the red zone. And Michael Carter is in there with a running back by committee. Like I, I there's no way that I was gonna get Michael Carter project for anything respectable. I, I would have played a number of lining of running backs over him. I'd have played. Let's see how how much did he cost? Michael Carter was forty nine hundred. Forty nine hundred. Okay, so I would have much preferred uh, Zach Moss over him. No, but I, I well, that's the reason why on over that show last week I was like, nope, not playing Moss. Moss didn't. Reg- I mean, I have Moss at twelve point three. I had him at twelve point one six. So okay, like, so that I went more. <laughs> no, no, no. But for you, absolutely. Michael Carter, right. like the better play for me. Like I'm not touching Michael Carter based on the way that I run my projections. So right. I, I you have Eli that. Mitchell. I had Eli Mitchell at 14.7. Uh, I had Eli Mitchell at 14.16. Okay. So not bad. How about Alex Collins? Uh, 12.1. 13.4. So that's why I was getting more Alex Collins. Sure. And then what, what the hell? Okay. Here, here's a talking point. Uh, what the hell did you do with the Eagles backfield? I didn't fucking touch him. Excuse my language, but like, how did, how are people going to play Kenneth Gainwell? I don't, uh, I don't get I, it. Like, I ended up it. with, I ended up with Kenny Gainwell in, in some of my, I think I, I think I had him in two or three lineups. I, um, I, I don't like, but I don't, I, I'm not going to play like Kenny Gainwell came in at 17% owned in the middle. 
The Eagles have never, ever given one running back the work when their main back goes down. Since, like, freaking LaShawn McCoy. I, I mean, if you are still living, like, in the LaShawn McCoy era, okay, sure. They have one running back. They don't even want to give Miles Sanders all of the work. They still mix in Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell when they have a feature back. And in the past, in the past, like, four years, four years of this, we have this data where if they have a back go down the next game, they run by committee and they bring up Jordan Howard and Jordan Howard scores two touchdowns on the half inch line has more touchdowns than he has yards. And then they use a running back by committee. They never go with just one feature back. If, if you, if the, the thing that comment is not, see, you're describing an, an absolute you couldn't I'm describing because, a circumstance. I'm okay, describing right, but I, oh, I'm, I'm rephrasing it to you couldn't be confident that Kenny Gainwell was going to get the work that he's projected for. Sure. Yep. That's it. That. So the, the projection is fragile. So even sure. if you put him in and you go, okay, maybe Boston Scott gets X, Kenny Gainwell gets X, but more of the better touches because he'll catch the ball in the backfield. Jordan Howard. Let, let's just say he gets three one-yard carries yeah. and you project him for that. Like, the fragility of that situation means that you'd be more inclined. Like, we take a look at Boston Scott. Boston Scott in the Millie was 1.4% owned. Gainwell was 17% owned. So, for it's the similar situation we talked to about Pittman and the other – and then the several 5K receivers – in that range, it's like all their ranges, even if you want to argue that Michael Pittman's range is slightly higher, it doesn't warrant being four times more owned than four other receivers in that range. Yeah, I, I had Kenny I had, Gain, Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott are similarly priced. I think Scott was cheaper, right? What yeah, was he was place? cheaper. He was 4,400. Kenneth Gainwell 4, 400, was, Gainwell was 5,000. If you if I would have told you that Gainwell was 17% owned and Boston Scott was one and a half percent owned. The, the the situation is fragile enough that you if you, you were forced to choose one of them right you choose Boston Scott but it's quite possible that you just say screw why am I playing a seventeen percent on Gainwell at all doesn't mean you don't it doesn't mean you play Scott it doesn't mean you play Howard it just means you just avoid the Eagles running back situation in its entirety if you told me Kenny Gainwell was two percent owned three percent owned four percent owned. And he played him and said, I'm going to bet. No one knows what's going to happen with the Eagles backfield. I'm going to take a chance. That's fair. On a four, that's, that's fair. That's, that's the point. So anyone that rostered Boston Scott yesterday is, was, was smart to do so. If you were going to roster anyone from the Eagles backfield, it's perfectly fine to run. Roster, and if you're going to take a shot, you take a shot with Boston Scott. But I actually, but my, I thought Kenny Gainwell would be, I thought 10%. I thought 12 I, I put ten, and I thought that was—I thought that was generous. I thought maybe he'd end up coming in at like six, six to eight percent, though. I, I had him at twelve point six five, and he was <laughs> for for my leverage, he was twelve point six five percent too high owned. I didn't think he should have been played at all. I mean, I that like I that was amazing to me. I thought well, he shouldn't be played at that ownership. And you can make a case for any play, any player that's going to see the field. That's at some point. Oh, oh, one. I mean, there's a case. Yeah, you, yeah, you sure, could. sure. If you have a bunch of lineups, sure, you can take some shots. But yeah, that situation, I people talked themselves into. I, I had somebody ask me in the Discord 
how much did I spend of my fab on Kenneth Gainwell? And I audibly laughed. And I was like, none, none. Seasonal. Who cares about season long anything? Well, I mean, I agree with that. But like the people thought people wanted this to be Eli Mitchell. I think people wanted. We this didn't even to know be Eli that. Mitchell was going to be Eli Mitchell. I, it's I know it's, we it's we a didn't. fragile. It's just, all it is, is that it's not it's not a being right or wrong. Like I want to get away from being right or wrong. It's it's a fragile situation. And whichever way it goes. There's a chance of you being wrong. So your confidence in how much you resources you put into it sure. should be commensurate with the risk that you're taking. Right. So to go in and say, oh, Kenneth Gainwell is going to be, you know, the lead back 80 percent of the snaps for for the next month. Like you can't be that. You can't be that. Conf- don't you can't be that confident. So if the rest of the field is sticking the same thing, you should go. I realize how fragile this is. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be as high as the mark. I also want people to start thinking about the price of a player being their ownership and not so much of their salary because the salary is built at Like if you think that the projections that you use are very good, like if, like for you, right? Like with your aggregate, you were been successful you, for me for years. So yes, I right, agree. Yeah, with yeah. Yeah. So with, with your aggregate, if you see that somebody is, obviously overpriced for their projection you're not even really considering them anyway right like you you don't really want to play them unless you do something like you did with michael pittman and aj brown where you you have a circumstance but like the higher own they are that means just the rest of your lineup has to be somewhat different so you can fit them in it's just it's just a matter of identifying those situations so you're not stuck with 7 million percent ownership, you know. but you can think about the price of a player. You can think about the price of Kenneth Gainwell as 13% owned. And you can think about that across an entire lineup as well. And the same way that you can think about them with a, with a median projection. I think that we are almost to the point now where, and I mean, I've been saying this for what a year. I, I do think that we are at the point where ownership is more important than projections because everybody has projections but I do think that it would help a lot of people to think to themselves and say, okay, the price of Alvin Kamara is 9% owned. Do I want to pay 9% owned for Alvin Kamara in a lineup that has a whole bunch of other pieces that have, you already know what you're projecting for the other things. Do you want to pay the price of 16% for Joe Mixon rather than paying for his projection, which if you're considering him in a lineup already, you already think that he projects fine. So do you want to pay the price of the ownership? I think it would help a lot of people to think that way because you can avoid things like Kenneth Gainwell, where you see that he's going to be 13% owned and even, even optimistic projections had him at like a projection of 13 around there. Do you want to pay 13% ownership on somebody who doesn't even have who might have a ceiling of like 22 within a standard deviation. Do you want to pay that ownership? Think, think about things that way when you're, when you're considering situations and then you can really start to think about the fragility of the situation rather than the actual projection itself. Cause if the projections are good and if you're considering players, you already know that you want to build a lineup that projects well, how much ownership do you want to pay? What is the price that you want to pay on the ownership next? And then also consider that before you make final decision. No, no, I, 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 Dude, you're talking. You're talking to the person that that's how that's essentially what I'm playing. Well, I'm talking to all of the YouTube watchers as right. well. I mean, like- but I mean, the way that you put it is 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 is, is smart. And Jacob Calloway, 
in, in chat even says so. Now, I, I like the way that you phrase that. The He says the cost is the ownership, not the salary. The salary is just the constraint in the optimization process. Right. Yep. So you're not necessarily thinking about uh, how good of a play this guy is for projected points at this price. You have to assume that that guy, you know, you're not the only one that's seeing that. So like if he's, I mean, it comes down to efficient ownership. If a guy is X price, if Christian McCaffrey healthy is $5,000, right? And he's 90, what did you basically have to figure out what is it, his efficient ownership at that price? His efficient ownership at that price may be 90%. Yeah. And it's not 100% because it's NFL football. And it's just, this is still very, like, Christian McCaffrey can fail. Even and if he get at, injured. And he get injured. Like, let's say min price running back, 4,000. This ain't, this ain't like basketball. This ain't like min price point guard playing 40 minutes in basketball where their, their failure rate is like 2%. It was min price Gordon Hayward. That's the exact situation. Right. Uh, but even then... His efficient ownership was probably 97% though. Like not, not the whole yeah. way there. It's somewhere over there. Yeah. Uh, so let's say Christian McCaffrey's min price running back, 4,000. Going to walk into his normal, his his old school normal, 100% of snaps. And he's, and he's 4,000. Well, what is his efficient ownership? If you think his efficient ownership is 100%, like essentially you sh- then, then it does, then, you should either be playing them in all your lineups or none of your lineups, right? If you think if you think his efficient ownership is 90% and he's going to be owned at 95%, that doesn't mean you don't play him. You don't think he's over-owned, so you X him out. It's just that 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 those three variables combined is the cost of the play. What Jacob is saying is the cost of the player, that triangle of price, salary, and ownership. Like that is the cost. So like if Christian McCaffrey is uh, is minimum price and he's only going to be 10% owned, he costs, so he doesn't cost 4,000. He costs 4,000 at 10%, which is so ridiculously cheap for probably a 27 point projection that you should probably have him in, in a hundred, you should literally lock button. Like that's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's a value you'll never get, but it has nothing to do with him being 4,000. It has to be doing with him being 4,000 and only 10% owned. If he's 4,000 and 90% owned, he probably ends up in about 90% of your line. Like he's, there are lineups that you can make without him. And as he goes down in ownership from 90 to 80 to 70, the more reasons you should just be just, you're not going to get a a better value on the entire slate. And it's not the salary, it's the ownership difference. So like we talk about Michael Pittman today, that, that's what that triangle of, Salary to ownership and and price, like in comparison to other players in that range, he costs too much, right? Like it's like, well, he was fifty three hundred, yeah, but I mean he was Brandon Cooks for four hundred more was five percent owned. Brandon Cooks cost less if you want to put into those terminologies. Like if you told me that Brandon Cooks was five percent and Pittman was twenty five percent and Brandon Cooks is four hundred more. Most people would say, well, Brandon Cooks costs 400 more. I said, no, he actually costs less. Right. Right. From, from a winning a GPP, from, a, from a, the game aspect of DFS, he actually costs less. You go up to, uh, let's say, uh, I'm going to go to other wide receivers. I, th- I, I, I love the way that you put this concept. Uh, we, put it, we put it in the course, but not like exactly worded this way. Yeah. If, if, ter- if uh, let's 
Deontay Johnson is 6,700. I had him, I don't know what he was on, but let, let's just say, oh, DK Metcalf. Let's use, you, you use that example. DK Metcalf, th- I had him as 3% owned. I don't know what he ended up being. DK Metcalf is 6,800 at 3% owned. Michael Pittman was uh, 5,300 at 26% owned. From a game aspect, DK Metcalf costs cost less. Yeah. Right? From what we're talking about with that triangle. Like the cost of playing DK Metcalf versus his success rate versus ownership, even though it was 6,800, he costs less to play. Yep. The only the salary is only just because you have to put nine guys, nine slots in a lineup. And you want try to get the most amount of projected points. But since he costs less, he gains you more by playing him but than by playing Pittman. So tech, that means he costs he costs from, from a strategic standpoint less. So if you lock him in and don't play Pittman, your lineup may actually be your back, your lineup may actually project three points lower than the Pittman lineup, but it's also owned 40 to 50 percent lower than the Pittman lineup. So it technically caught it costs less because it has less ownership. Is that is, is, is are those good ways of putting it? Because to use the word cost, is there another is there another way to, or is that the best way to say it? So people don't view the salary as like, oh, I'm look. People look at point per dollar and go, well, that means everything. It's like, well, yeah. is that versus the ownership also. Yeah, and and my big thing that I always try to do, I try to get people to look less at projections and more at ownership. The projection is important, but you once you have already built a lineup like you've moved past the projection you have to figure out another way to assess how valuable your lineup is and i think cost really is the best way to say it i the the example that i would use like if you go back to dk metcalf if dk metcalf is three percent owned what what did he end up he ended up being 5.6 in the middle okay sure so dk metcalf if you haven't projected for five percent up and he has a projection of 18 fantasy points and you have right next to him, say, Chris Godwin projected for 19 fantasy points. So you have a one point difference here. Chris Godwin, uh, I don't know. He was Godwin came in at 24%, at mass- massively highly, right. Up, right? The cost of rostering DK Metcalf at 5% owned, even with a one point lower projection, is about twice as cost efficient. Cost efficiency, I think, is the best way to say this, right? Right. He's twice as cost of uh, cost efficient as Chris Godwin is. Um, who who was it? Devonte Smith comes in at five percent out, right? And he projects for the same as Michael Pittman, but Michael Pittman is thirty percent out. You could uh, you're you're entering almost like ten times more cost efficient to have Devonte Smith and Michael Pittman. Now, when we say these things. It's not just a one v one. You, you right, need to build lineup. a lineup for right. this. Right. But but when you think about things that way, it would be insane to play a, if you have a one v one decision and you have Devonte Smith versus Michael Pittman, and you say, "Oh, well, they both cost the same. They both project the same. They don't cost the same." You take the one with the lower ownership every time. Every single time it's in a one v one. It's free EV. It's free money. It's free. every time Auto in a one v one. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that's what we're trying to get across here. The cost efficiency of a player is not based on their projection or their value. It's based on how owned they are. 
against the other ones in their range. And then, and that's, and that's also the reason why, depending on the contest you play, like I take a look at DeAndre Swift and do you think DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Swift in the wildcat in the slant was 40 to 42% owned. Uh, I think his efficient ownership was probably close to close to that. I think DeAndre Swift 35. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I'll give you 35. So if you, if you put his efficient ownership at 35, that means he's overowned in the Wildcat by a little bit. Yeah. But in the Millie, he was 23% owned. In the play action, he was 17% owned. Yeah. Like he if you won. were playing the Millie and you wanted to jam a ton of Swift, like the cost of playing Swift was so much lower in the Millie than it is in the Wildcat. Yeah. Same for Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson was 35 in the Wildcat, 22 in the Millie. So he cost less in the Millie. He caught, well, but the salary is the same, but he, he, the cost efficiency, the cost opportunity was less there. Godwin was about even the whole way through. So like, it didn't matter what contest you were kind of playing. Pittman was actually a little bit higher on in the Millie than he was Wildcat. He was still 22% on with defenses. While the Washington football team defense in the Wildcat was 25% owned in the Millie was 21% owned. And with the immense amount of variance at defense, no defense should ever be. There's no single defense e- ever be that owned in any situation. He, we had last week when they mispriced the Cardinals at 3,100. It's like, I'm just going to lock them in. It's like, dude, like, like no, like no defense may be worth more than 10% ownership. Pro, pro tip uh, for defense, just, just set their exposure to 10% and just run. Just run it. Right? <laughs> don't don't do anything other than that. But, but that's a, but that's a perfect example of the concept of like no matter what what you think you could project for defense, like but people accept. See that that's the weird thing, J- uh, James. People accept. I think more people accept that for defense. Yeah, like we say that concept of like defense is extremely variant. I'll look at my defense projections here, and everyone will be somewhere between like four and eight. Right, it'll be like something, right? Mm-hmm. Like you take a look at these numbers. Yeah, some are lower. The Dolphins were at three, and the Texans were at two. But like for the most part, everything's like the Washington Football Team is five point seven six. But I got like Eagles at six point oh eight, Bears six point one, Colts five point three, Chargers six point four, Broncos seven point. I mean, I mean, it's like all these are have like very similar ranges, and people accept, and it's like, oh yeah, on defense, like yeah, I understand why you don't play the chalk defense. Yeah, but then what I'm, What I just explained for the defense is exactly what we went over with all those 5K wide receivers. Yep. Right? Like, here are all these defenses from five to eight, right? And they're all owned different. And one is more than the other guy. They Like, for no reason, like, they're the best play by point little, but the variance is this. Yep. Well, in the wide receiver range, I'm doing this, we're doing the same thing. But everyone's projected from 12 to 16. And there's eight guys to choose from. Why, why, why are you playing the Washington football team defense? Well, why are you playing Michael Pittman? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just to me, it's the same. Aren't I saying exactly the same thing when we talk about defense with the wide receivers? Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. And, and like, even when you, even when you look at the ranges of, of wide receivers, because like the, the range of defense, I would argue is, is probably highest in anything. But like, when you look at the range of the wide receivers, I run uh, I run up through two standard deviations for my ceilings, but then I reduce it back down a little bit. Michael Pittman only had a ceiling like three points higher than anyone else in that range. 
and that's for, that's a two standard deviation seal. Yes, two standard deviations up. So <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically most, most of Florence ceiling shows one standard deviation. Yeah, yeah. I actually it, it was interesting. I, I had to go back because I run through two standard deviations, but I use one standard deviation to adjust through the two. I did it in a weird way, but I, that's conversation for another day. Regardless, the the same conversation can be had anytime. And and remember, I I, I want to hammer this home. This is for one v ones. This is for vacuum conversations. Michael Pittman versus Devontae Smith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're doing a stack, rules are a little bit different. But when you're looking for your secondary correlations, when you're looking for your one offs, it is insane to play anybody that is higher owned than another person with the same projection. Right. Just don't do it. You never ever ever have a reason to do it and then if you do it and it works then you reinforce this really really bad habit and if you don't do it and it kills you like it killed jordan like it killed myself like we can look at it and say oh well we thought michael Pittman was going to be over owned at 18 percent owned so he comes in at 28 percent owned and we're both looking at it like i had one lineup where i get those two touchdowns early and the other two those lineups die and i'm like well I'm not mad about only having one lineup with Michael Pittman. I'm happy that I have one, but like I wouldn't have played him as a one-off at 28% owned. There's no way. Right. And over to, and you're looking over, over time. Yeah. I wouldn't like too many people look in the aspect of one slate. Oh, but I knew that was going to happen. It's like, well, how like no one's that, no one's that good. You didn't know anything. You don't don't know anything. Right. I mean, there are plenty of people there. Uh, James, there are plenty of people that had Wentz plus Pittman plus Brown plus Taylor plus Gainwell plus Emmanuel Sanders one-offs. Yep. And didn't cash. But they knew it's like, it was going to happen. Right. So, But I'm going to play all the chalkiest guys, even the fragile guys, play Emmanuel Sanders at 20%, play Ganny Gainwell at 14%, and then not even cash getting, my, getting the individual 1v1s, right? Like, that's kind of the point that you're making. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the point I'm making. Like, I'm not, I'm not beating my chest over like, oh, my God, I had so much Michael Carter at 7%. Dude, I didn't cash a single lineup because, like, it, what does it matter? I, I had Carter and Mitchell in a bunch of lineups that have zeros, have literally, literally have receivers with zeros in them. Right? I, I missed the cash line by two points on that Michael Pittman lineup. I didn't cash with Michael Pittman. I didn't cash with a Michael Pittman, A.J. Brown, Daryl Henderson lineup because I had a zero from Robbie Anderson at 4% owned. But Robbie Anderson at four percent owned is awesome, so I'm not mad about it. Right? I I I, I would have been mad if Robbie Anderson was eighteen percent. Oh, I'd have been livid. Right? Because I would have been, been like, oh, I've been, been all this this lineup is Carson Wentz at nine percent, there DeAndre Swift at forty, Daryl Henderson at thirty, AJ Brown at twenty, Michael Pittman at thirty, and Kyle Pitts at twenty. If Robbie Anderson ends up anywhere over ten percent, this lineup is trash, and I should not have played it but I had Robbie Anderson and T.Y. Hilton at 2% and the Saints at 1%. So I'm fine with that. But any of those guys get over 10%, terrible. Hate this Right, you're lineup. screwed, right. Because now you're now you're playing a lineup with almost no relative value whatsoever. Right, right. <laughs> okay, well, we talk about a lot of this type of stuff in the, the theory of uh, DFS masterclass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 15 hours long, so you don't have to go back and watch all of these episodes and all the, all the concepts are in one structured place. Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploit, psychology, miscellaneous. How to think like a professional DFS player. You know, you think long-term. Yeah, I had a horrible, like, yeah, I had a horrible slate yesterday, but the slate 
The week before I had a great slate. And the week before that I had a horrible slate. And the week before that I had a great slate. I mean, like it is what it is. Uh, that's the reality of DFS. Like if, if you could, if you could profit, if you're playing cash slash GPP, like 58% of the time, like you're elite. Like that's, that's, that's what DFS is. You're not going to win every week. You actually go in expecting to lose Yeah, because you're not, you're not going to win every week. Uh, so, uh, so go to theoryofdfs.com to pick that up. James Pater underscore DFS. And uh, people could get uh, now, now that your court and Slutton projections are back down to normal. Uh, they could go, they go to your website and get, get parts of your model, right? Yeah. 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 PaterDFS.com. And I have projections for every single sport and this week, and I'm sure through the rest of the NFL season, things are pretty much normalized. Like I, I looked at the projections and I had a hard time figuring out who I was going to be super over on. And it was T.Y. Hilton when we got to it. So yeah, you'll find all those projections and the, uh, the NBA optimizer, which I just retooled to be pretty, pretty unique and interesting. So I'm pretty excited about that. And yeah, just excited for the rest of the, the main sports season and then working into esports starting up again uh, early next year. And uh, we just found out uh, Joel Embiid is going to be sitting today. Yay, NBA. NBA, welcome to the NBA, where you don't even bother making a lineup until 10 minutes. I'm so tired of it already. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so you can follow James at paydirt underscore DFS. Me at Blender HD. Uh, hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. I will be back later today on this channel. So hit the notification bell. I'll be on with Dean and Stevie for NBA grinders live at five twenty Eastern. And then I'll be back on with, uh, with will, I believe uh, at seven 30 for the NFL pre-lock show for, for Monday night football. And then I'll be back tomorrow to talk about it all. Uh, Cause that's what we do here. Talk about DFS strategy, answer your questions in the YouTube chat on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>